Welcome to episode two of the Florida Divorce and Family Law Questions podcast. We've got a whole new set of questions ready for answers. But first, let me go over a few preliminary notes. The questions I receive are not from clients, but are from people who simply have a quick question that they need answered about a family law question. I try to get new episodes of the podcast out about twice a month, but that's based on the number of questions I get. So the more questions I get, the more frequent the episodes. If you have a question, you can submit it at my website or via email, and links to both of those are available in the show notes. So let's get on with the questions. The first question comes from a parent in Fort Lauderdale who writes that they have a custody agreement that is notarized. It doesn't really say if this is the husband or the wife, mother or father. Um, either way, he or she is wondering if this notarized parenting plan would hold up in court. Um, there's no mention, again, whether these parents are divorcing or if this is a paternity case. Uh, a signed agreement like they're talking about, usually called a parenting plan, will very likely hold up in court. Uh, the main, if not only, exception to this is if the judge does not think that the agreement is in the best interest of the children. And let me give an example of that. In order to avoid litigation, um, suppose that the parents agreed that they would split the time with their children 50-50, with the children spending um, alternate nights with each parent so that they'd have one night with mom and then the very next night um, with the father. Um, I know that sounds strange, but just hang in there for a second. Um, also suppose that one of these parents lives a long way from the children's school. In this situation, uh, at a quickie ex parte final hearing where the judge is going to review the parenting plan, um, these parents certainly run the risk that the judge would not agree that this schedule is in the best interest of the children due to the instability uh, the back and forth every other night with each parent, and the amount of travel time involved. Um, very often the judges will read through these agreements or ask the parties um, just the basics of what's the time-sharing agreement in their own words. And if they were to say something like this to the judge at this hearing, it, it's certainly possible that the judge would have a big problem with a uh, a time-sharing arrangement like that. It's also possible that the judge doesn't read it and doesn't ask, and nobody is ever the wiser, and so the judge approves it. Um, lastly, back to the question, I don't think that the terms, I don't want the the questioner to think that the terms of the parenting plan are permanent. While a judge might agree that the parenting plan is valid today, uh, it certainly can be changed in the future if there's been what's called a substantial change in circumstances that was not anticipated uh, when the parenting plan was originally signed. It's important to take into account whether or not the alleged change is anticipated or not. For example, suppose now that when a couple divorces, they agree that the children will live with their mother primarily and spend weekends with the father. When the parents sign this agreement, the father is already living with his girlfriend, and the mother knows about this. After the divorce is final, the mother can't try to change the parenting plan and restrict the father's time-sharing by alleging a, that the substantial change in circumstances is that the father's now living with a woman that's not his wife. Essentially, if she had a problem with his living arrangements, and, and such problems are common, um, then she just needs to bring it up in the original case, and she can't do that because she agreed to it. Next, we have a woman who writes in and 
states that she and her husband live in North Carolina. Her husband's ex-wife lives here in Florida. The ex-wife has the legal custody of their 14-year-old daughter. The 14-year-old daughter has lived with her father in North Carolina for the last two years. This relocation was agreed to by the parents and is about to end. Um, They don't say whether this relocation was signed off on by the judge, but I would imagine not. Uh, The child apparently wants to stay in North Carolina, and the mother here in Florida wants the child to come back to Florida. The father and his current wife in North Carolina want to know at what age uh, can she choose where she gets to live. The first thing they should probably do before we even answer the question is they probably should talk to a lawyer in North Carolina as well. It's entirely possible that since the child has lived in North Carolina for the last two years, that jurisdiction uh, is in North Carolina now. So any arguments about where the child should live with the mother or the or the father uh, should be held in a North Carolina court. It's certainly possible that Florida has lost jurisdiction because of the time that the child's been in North Carolina. Now, back to the question about what age, at what age can a child choose? The short answer to this question is never. Um, they never get to pick. The Florida statutes uh, simply do not grant a child of a certain specific age, whether it's 15, 16, or 17, or 10, it doesn't really matter. Uh, they're not granted a, the ability to make such a choice. If the parents can't agree on what they think is in their child's best interest, then the court will make that decision for them. The child, so the child never gets to make a decision about what would be in their own best interest because they're children. Um, it's not really an exception to this rule, but when parents do argue over where the child should spend a majority of their time, they can be interviewed by an independent third party who makes a recommendation to the judge, this is called a social investigation, about what the social investigator, the third party, thinks should be done. In this process, um, the child, certainly older children, very often get interviewed, and in that interview, they can state a preference of whether they want to live with their mother or their father or how they might want to split the time between their parents. Um, The judge can use that preference in their decision, but the appellate courts here in Florida have been very clear that that cannot be the only um, factor in the judge's decision-making process. I think that the judge would give um, certainly would give more weight to a child's preference based on that child's um, demonstrated maturity level. For example, suppose a child said that he wanted to live with his father because his dad isn't home very often and the child would be able to play more video games uh, at night. Now, that's a very clear preference articulated perhaps well by the child Um, but I don't think that the judge is going to be convinced that that's a very good reason, a very mature reason of why you would want to live with your father over over your mother. Um, A better reason might be that the child wanted to live with his father because his father was better able to help him with his homework, perhaps. In, In that situation, I think a judge would obviously find that more, not necessarily more believable. I think the judge could believe that the child wanted to play more video games, but it's a more mature answer Um, a more adult answer, perhaps. Um, And therefore, the judge certainly is, I think, very much more likely to give that more weight. And that might tip the scales towards uh, the child getting to live at least more of his time with the father. Up next, we have a similar question from Fort Walton Beach. 
in this case, the mother has the majority time sharing with um, the party's 12-year-old son. The party's apparently divorced about seven years ago. For about the last two and a half years, the son uh, has lived with the father. About a year ago, the mother moved from Florida to another state. I don't really say where. Uh, when she left, the parties agreed that the child would stay with the father until the child started high school, which from this question says is still about two years away. Now, the mother says to the father that she will not return the child um, after the summer visitation that's quickly approaching. So the father writes in and wants to know what he can do to keep his son with him. I think first, and really almost immediately, he needs to file what's called a supplemental petition to modify the timesharing. Um, those certainly it would help if um, the father here uh, contacted a lawyer, but if he doesn't have the funds to hire a lawyer, he can certainly go on the um, Supreme Court of Florida's website and look through the family law forms. That's uh, www.flcourts.org. Um, they have a lot of the forms that get filed in family cases, so it's usually a very good, very good um, resource. Uh, but back to the supplemental petition, as in any supplemental petition, he needs to show that there's been a substantial change in circumstances. Here, I think this substantial change is fairly obvious. The child has been living with the father um, instead of the mother, as the court had ordered, um, even if it was by agreement, for over two years, and the mother has moved out of state. Um, I think the court would very likely keep the son with the father if the judge thinks that there has been an unanticipated substantial change in circumstances and that the proposed modification, which is what the father is proposing, is in the best, is in the best interest of the child. Um, if this standard sounds pretty unclear and ambiguous, um, that's because it is. The judges are given pretty wide discretion in deciding the terms of the parenting plan. I think here one of the big factors, and I don't know all the factors, there's a whole list of factors in the statutes that the judge has to consider, not might consider or should consider, has to consider. Um, that it, One of the big factors that the judge, I think, would focus on here is the stability of keeping the child in the same place. Um, if we're talking about a 12-year-old child here and the parents have divorced, was living with the, obviously the child used to live with both parents, uh, then lived with his mother, and now has lived with his father, uh, certainly that's enough, perhaps, up to the judge to decide if it's enough changes for a 12-year-old. Um, typically, I think a judge does recognize the difficulty imposed on a child when required to move um, with a new parent and move to a new city, and it's quite possible that the judge might think that that's just too much. Now, you still have to consider, that might be one factor that's in the father's favor. Um, there might be, once you analyze all the factors, a whole lot of other factors that are in the mother's favor. So I think when I usually talk about in these podcasts, it, you only know part of the story. I think this is a great example of that. Um, if this is the if this is the full story, then I think the father almost certainly wins. Um, but really, it's almost certainly not the whole story. There's always another side of the story. It might not be enough to make a difference. Um, but that's why it's uh, always good instead of relying on these questions here um, as legal advice, which they are not. Um, it's just informational. Um, it, you can't 
substitute, certainly not with a podcast, the ability of actually asking a local family law lawyer who knows the local judges and how things are decided, your whole situation. And for anybody listening to this, um, when there's another side of the story, not your side of the story, the other party's side of the story, it's always a good thing to tell your lawyer that side of the story as well, um, because everybody's going to hear it sooner or later. Next, we have a mother in Dade City who asks whether her daughter's father is allowed to take her out of state. She says that the father pays child support, but that visitation has never been ordered by a court. Uh, An answer to this question depends on whether the father has been found to be the legal father. The mother says that the father is paying child support. Since he's paying, I will assume for a moment that he is doing so because there is a court order telling him to pay. If he is court ordered to pay, then there has been a court to find that he is the legal father of the child. Since the parents in this situation were not married, the only way that a man can become the legal father of a child is if a judge says so, usually as part of a paternity and I guess an adoption case as well. So if he is the legal father of the child, he still needs to get a time-sharing schedule ordered by the court. However, Just because there hasn't been one ordered yet does not mean that the mother should not let the child see her father. Alternatively, if the biological father has not been found to be the legal father, then he has no rights to the child until the judge says he does. This brings up a strange situation. The mother absolutely has the right to stop contact with the father, but if she does so and the father goes to court and gets a parenting plan, then the mother looks bad because she denied the father's request to spend time with the child. Now, sometimes looking bad in that situation isn't going to make any difference, but if the father, for some reason, had gone to court and asked for the majority of the time sharing, then the mother certainly looks bad in that situation because she perhaps knows he's the father, has taken his money, has taken his assistance, and is denying any contact with the child. That just makes her look bad. And looking bad is never going to help you in family court. The best course of action in these situations is for the parents to negotiate a parenting plan that they can both live with. Uh, Nobody ever gets their ideal situation, but they should be able to come to an agreement that they both can live with. The terms of a parenting plan uh, should include weekend and weekday time sharing, holiday, summer, spring break time sharing, pickup and drop-off locations, transportation methods and costs, as well as uh, the scheduling and payment of extracurricular activities. If the parents can come up with one of these uh, agreed-on parenting plans, then they can use that as part of a paternity case, an uncontested paternity case. That doesn't mean just because you're filing a lawsuit doesn't mean you have to go to court and argue. It's kind of like an uncontested divorce. It just becomes a formality where you're waiting for the judge to approve of your parenting plan. And as we've already discussed uh, on this podcast um, today, that as long as the, both parents are going into court and saying that this is something that they agree to and that they think it's in the best interest of the child, as long as there's not some kind of really crazy provisions in the parenting plan, the judge will agree with them, approve the parenting plan, and then now everybody has a parenting plan which has the time-sharing provisions that tells everybody essentially how to act and what 
each party can expect from the other as far as time sharing with the child. Next is a common question that I receive many times. What to do after you've been served with a summons in a family law case? Your first step is to read the summons. In Florida, as it should state on the summons, you have 20 days to respond to the summons. Your best course of action is to use that time to find a lawyer. It even says that in the summons that you should consider talking to a lawyer. If you're not going to hire a lawyer, uh, you still need to be sure that you file your response, typically called an answer, no later than the 20th day after you were served. As I already mentioned, you have these 20 days to respond. The day after you were served is day number one. The next day is day number two, and so on. If the 20th day falls on a weekend or a holiday, you have until the next uh, non-weekend or non-holiday, so the next weekday that is not a holiday or weekend to file your answer. So in some situations, it's not uncommon that you would file an answer on the 21st day. It's very unusual for an answer to be done on the 23rd day, but it's possible. If you do not file your answer on time, you open yourself up to the very real possibility that the other side will ask the clerk to enter a default against you. The effect of a default is that the court will treat each of the allegations contained in the petition as true. In some cases, this is not a big problem, but in other cases, it certainly can be. There are circumstances under which a default can be set aside, but you'd certainly need to talk to a lawyer to learn more about your options to have uh, a default set aside. Um, The answer itself is a fairly simple process. You start from the premise that the petition that that was served on you only contains allegations that you either need to admit or deny. For example, a petition for dissolution of marriage commonly alleges that the parties were married at a specific date and at a specific place. It also alleges how many children, you know, one, two, or zero, that were born during the marriage, and that the marriage itself is irretrievably broken. These allegations are commonly, but not always, admitted. Allegations that are commonly denied include requests for alimony, um, requests for attorney's fees, and issues related to time sharing with the children. Perhaps a mother, when she files her petition for dissolution of marriage, is asking for a majority of the time with the child. She doesn't need to, and it commonly doesn't happen, she doesn't need to put forth a specific schedule, but she would simply need to say, I want the child or children to live with me the majority of the time. Um, If that is exactly what the father wants, he again doesn't have to say that he wants a specific schedule, then he would need to deny um, her allegation there. If he admits that allegation, because it it could be that he's perfectly okay with the children spending the majority of the time, their whole argument, and they could still have a very substantial argument in the case about his minority time sharing, what does it look like? Because minority could be two or three days a year. It could be 180 days a year. So there's still certainly room to argue in there. Um, Please also be aware that there are various defenses that must be brought up um, in or prior to an answer, or they'll be deemed waived by the court. For example, it is possible that your case was filed in the wrong county. You must bring that issue to the court's attention immediately. Uh, So the timing is very important in that regard. Even if we assume 
that you would win such a motion to transfer the venue to the proper county, you will lose that motion if it's not timely filed. Um, and I'm certainly not going to get into now all the uh, all the venue rules or all the different defenses that are that you must plead in an answer or motions to dismiss, motions to transfer the venue. We don't need to get into all those now. Um, but those are all perfectly good reasons why you need to talk with a lawyer from the very beginning, not necessarily on the first or second day, but you have 20 days, use, use that time. Lastly, you can always ask the other side, whether it's a lawyer or um, one of the parties, for an extension of the 20-day time period. They don't have to grant your request, but if they do, you should get proof of that agreement in writing, whether it's an exchange of letters or emails. Um, when you file, when you create your, your answer or your response, you should send the original off to the clerk of the court, um, and the address of the clerk should be in the summons, and you should also send a copy of the other, uh, to the other party or their lawyer, if, if they have one, and keep a copy for yourself for your own records. Okay, that's all I have for this episode. Again, I'm Jim Mullaney, and I practice in and around Jacksonville. My address is 4741 Atlantic Boulevard, Suite A1, Jacksonville, Florida, 32207. My phone number is 904-858-4334. My email address is jim at jimmullaney.com. My website is www.jimmullaney.com. You can find me on Twitter at at jacksdivorceatty. And thanks for listening, and have a great day.